0: Good morning, Crossroads. Man, I was told I was going to have a song between uh, that baby dedication and my preaching. It's, r- it's rough to follow up. Uh, welcome to Crossroads. If you're new here, good luck. I, uh, one of the things that I love about this church is exactly what... What Rod said is it's not a church that's built on a cult of personality, but it's uh, a church that's founded on the Word of God, and, and it's a church that champions others to step into what God has called them to be and what God has called them to do, and I love that I get to be a part of that. Welcome to uh, the third week of Advent. Do you guys know it's the third week of Advent? probably can't tell from the weather outside but you could probably tell from the extensive Christmas decorations here at Crossroads. <laughs> Seriously, my goodness. Now, I, I mean, I'm admittedly, I mean, I'm admittedly and, and unashamedly a bit of a Scrooge at Christmas, but, like, we at least have a Christmas tree in our house, you know? <laughs> Seriously, that's Awesome. Love this church. <laughs> if you've been with us for a little while, we've been journeying through the book of Luke. We are now in Luke chapter 17. Last couple of weeks, we got just a little bit out of rhythm. We're back on rhythm in Luke chapter 17 this week. Uh, if you have a Bible. Uh, like mine, it's on page 1032, but most likely you don't, so forget that I just said that. Uh, But Luke is a book in the Bible. It's about three-quarters of the way through your Bible. And if somebody has a page number for Luke 17, why don't you shout it out? What is it? 850. Your Bible doesn't have as many pages as mine. I must have a Catholic Bible. That's nothing... Catholics just have more books than we do in their Bible. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Man. Luke 17. Uh, I'd like to pray for us as well. God, thanks for this morning. Thanks for this weather that is confusing and yet uh, tells us of your glory. Your word says that all of creation testifies about your glory and your power. And thank you for the opportunity to experience that this morning. Thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit who is present and among us and uh, whom you promised would come and guide us into all truth that would teach us and remind us of everything that you said. And so uh, because you promised that, we ask, come, Lord Jesus. May your spirit be present here with us to reveal truth, to reveal the very risen Christ to us this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 17, we're going to start in verse 20 this morning. We're going to read through 37. One thing that we like to do out of respect for our God and for his word is we like to stand during the reading of God's word. So let's stand. I'm going to read Luke 17, starting in verse 20. It says, Once. Having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is. Because the kingdom of God is within you. Or some of your Bibles say, among you, or in your midst. Verse 22. Then he said to his disciples, The time is coming, When you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Men will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running after them, for the Son of Man in his day will be like lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same way in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It'll be just like this on the day of the Son of Man as revealeds. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding uh, grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Have a seat. Whoo-wee! We could start a theological food fight with this one, couldn't we? (laughs) Yeah. I would love nothing more than to sit down in small groups with you guys right now and hear what you are thinking after we read this passage. This is a, uh, a passage that's connected to a line of theological thought that has caused much debate and division and confusion and fear and lots of other emotions throughout church history. And unfortunately, it's a, a text that I think has been interpreted in ways that it misses the point. And here's what I mean by that. I think that we get caught up in the rapture. and That's not a pun. I didn't mean to that wasn't supposed to be a joke. Uh, but we get caught up in these dialogues and these debates that I think maybe have their place and may be helpful in certain contexts. But I think that this passage has uh, less to do with the process of the rapture or even the timeline of the end times and has much more to do with who Jesus is. And what he is like and what he does and how we are supposed to live accordingly. I think that's what we should get out of this passage. And then the other, uh, the other conversations can happen in the light of that. But I think that's where our focus should be. And that's where I want to go this morning. I want to look at what does this tell us about who Jesus is? What does it tell us about his kingdom? What does he like? What does he do? And how should we live accordingly? To do that, I want to make uh, just a couple of observations about the text. It's helpful for me when I'm reading my Bible just to start with just simple observation. Just look at just basic what's happening here right in front of me. Before I start going into interpretation and application, I want to just look at what's happening right here in front of me. And I think it's helpful to do that with this text. Because I think when we look at this text, just in a cursory observation, there's a couple of things that you'll find. Uh, The first thing that I think you'll find is that this text that we just read is broken up into two parts. Did anybody notice that? There's two parts in here. Uh, Two distinct parts. They're linked, necessarily linked, but yet distinct. And the first part, well, and let me say, the thing that ties these together is Jesus' reign, Jesus' kingdom, Jesus' ministry. But that comes in two distinct parts in this passage. And you can see it by a couple of phrases and key words in here. So if you look, for instance, verse 20 and 21 which I think is the first part of the text that we just read. You'll see, number one, that Jesus is talking to whom? The Pharisees. The Pharisees ask Jesus this question, uh, when will the kingdom of God come? So the audience is the Pharisees, and what's the subject matter? Kingdom of God. You'll see in these two verses, this phrase, kingdom of God, is repeated three times. So Jesus, his subject matter at this point is the kingdom of God. Now, if you notice in verse 22, the audience changes. Who's Jesus talking to in verse 22? His disciples. I should key us in that there's a little bit different angle going on here. And if you noticed, in verse 22, the subject matter changes. Notice that the kingdom of God is not repeated again after verse 21. Instead, what is the subject matter in verse 22? The days of the Son of Man. Did you guys notice that? So, I think what's happening here is there's a subject that's, well, well there's, there's, there's a, a, a thing that Jesus is talking about that's linked and yet he talks about it in two distinct realities. It's what we call uh, often in our, in our Christian circles the, the already but not yet kingdom. Have you guys heard that phrase? This idea that, that the kingdom of God is here, it's already, it's present. We get to experience it in real, tangible, concrete ways today. But there's also a kingdom that is yet to come. There's an ultimate revealing and manifestation of Jesus that we call the the return of Christ, the the end times, the second coming. And Jesus, I think here, is talking about those two realities. The kingdom that's already here, that was established during Jesus' reign here on earth 2,000 years ago, arguably actually established before that, but for the sake of today's discussion Uh, started in Jesus' reign 2,000 years ago and is now experienced yet today in the church. And yet, there's this day that's coming when Jesus is going to return and is going to set everything right. So I want to use those two realities, those two topics, those two subject matters to frame the rest of our time here this morning. You guys okay with that? Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's look at this first piece here, verse 20 and 21. Jesus is asked by the Pharisees, the kingdom of God, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus replies, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Uh, neither will people say, Here it is or there it is. But the kingdom of God is in your midst. Now, what is the kingdom of God? I think it's under I think it's helpful to understand historically, what these Pharisees may have meant by the kingdom of God. Now the kingdom of God in that day was understood to be God's rule established here on earth, his people under his rule experiencing his blessing. Now a number of you are thinking about Neil Martin up here talking about that. You guys remember that. I can remember that distinctly sitting over there at I think it was at North Point when he did that. Uh, But that's what the ancients understood as the kingdom of God. It was God's rule over God's people and God's people experiencing his blessing. Inherent with this is a couple of things. Number one, inherent with this is the nation of Israel. This is all linked in their mind. Uh, The nation of Israel is connected directly to the kingdom of God. Also... Inherent in that is living under God's rule is living the Torah, obeying the Torah, following God's rules. And when we do that, then we receive the blessing of God. That's what I think the Pharisees are thinking about. And I think what is helpful to understand in context here is Jesus is living in a day when there is great expectation for the Messiah who's going to come to reestablish this kingdom under God's rule so that the people can receive, their bless- receive the blessing of God. So Jesus comes into a day when there are, there's great expectation for, there's many Messiahs in Jesus' day. We think Messiah and we automatically think Jesus, Son of God who died on a cross to take away our sins. Which is good, uh, but Messiah simply means rescuer. And in that ancient day, it was connected to the restoration of Israel, the obedience to the Torah, God's blessing, all of that's connected in there. So these Pharisees, they say, when is this going to happen? And Jesus' response is, it's not going to come through your careful observation. What does he mean by that? Now, who are these Pharisees? These Pharisees, as many of you know, are the religious leaders of Jesus' day. And these are guys that know their Bibles. They know their Bibles much better than most any of us in this room. They know the text. And yet, there's this thought in the, with the Pharisees that that's what God wants. He wants us to live the rules. That that's what's going to incite God's blessing if we follow the rules. That's what Jesus means here by the careful observation. He's referring to this, this rule following, this intense rule following. To this day, I got to go to, with Rod to Israel several years ago. And it's fascinating to see the rules that are still followed to this day. Sabbath is so meticulously followed that when you go to a hotel in Israel on Sabbath, the, the, the elevators run automatically on Sabbath. So that you don't have to do the work of pushing a button. Because that's work on the Sabbath. And then when that, 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 that button lights up, you're starting a fire. And the Torah says, you may not even start a fire. So, so meticulously do they follow this law that they won't even push a button on the elevators on Sabbath. And Jesus says, no, this isn't the way the kingdom of God is going to come. God's rule isn't going to be a... You're not going to manipulate God... To establish his rule, his reign, through your meticulous following of the rules. But then Jesus goes on. He says, uh, Nor will people say, Here it is, or there it is. Again, in Jesus' day, there's many people that are claiming to be the Messiah. And there's people that are running out to see these Messiahs. Is this the one? Are you the one that's gonna come? Think about John uh, the Baptist's disciples. Are you the one that's going to come, or should we wait for another? Is there another one out there? People are running out to find these messiahs. They're they're waiting for this person that's going to come and restore Israel. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's not going to—that's not not the way it's going to be. Don't go chasing after these messiahs. And I I just—I think about today— Think about this culture that we live, especially here in this conservative, religious, West Michigan culture, which I I love our culture. I'm not belittling that. We just have to recognize some of the dynamics of our culture, and we live in a conservative, religious, Christian culture that loves the rules. Our culture loves the rules. Tell me the rules so that I can follow them, so that I can get into heaven. I grew up in this world. Many of you grew up in this world where it's all about following the rules. Give me the rules that I have to follow. And Jesus says, No, that's not, that's not what my kingdom's all about. It's not about following the rules. I wonder how many people are here this morning, uh, and I find myself falling into this camp, ringing. Uh, my hands together wondering if I'm following the rules, or right? if, if God's pleased with me if I, um, for following, the, if I've broken a rule that God's upset with and living under this fear of a God who's going to be upset if I break the rules. Or maybe how many are here that are given to chasing after the latest Messiah, and maybe that takes different forms. Maybe right now in this political season that we're in, there's some of you that are really wanting this certain politician because he's going to be the savior of America as if America is God's chosen people, right? Like that's what we're... Man, I hope this one... I'll tell you, none of the political... None of the politicians right now are the Messiah. Don't go running after that. One of them might be the Antichrist, but... That, <laughs> That's a different. I'm We should cut that out of the tape. I don't I don't know if I should be in there. But don't we see this in our culture right now, especially in this political season, where people are thinking, oh man, if this guy gets into office, what's going to happen? Or if this woman, maybe she's going to turn things around. Or It's like we're, hope, we're putting our hope in this Messiah. And Friends, the kingdom of God is not in the Oval Office of the White House. Jesus says, don't go chasing after that. Or maybe it's not political. Maybe for some of us in this room, it's the latest spiritual high. Maybe it's the latest revival meeting. Maybe it's the latest prayer gathering or the latest conference. And I'm not, I'm not, listen, we've been praying for revival for 10 years. Fervently, we've been praying for revival in our ministry. And we'll continue to. But I see a lot of people running after these revival meetings and these these, these conferences and these seminars and this great preacher, and i got to get this guy on my podcast because he's this, you know, it's just like Jesus is saying, no, that's, that's not it. That's not the kingdom of God. Jesus says the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's right here. He's, and, and, and specifically, what does Jesus mean by that? He's talking to these religious leaders who are so good at following the rules and maybe some others that are chasing after messiahs And Jesus is saying, open your eyes, I'm here. The kingdom of God is in your midst, it's right in front of you. I'm here, I've come to bring the kingdom of God. And this idea of the kingdom of God, it it appears over 30 times in Luke's gospel. And, And every time that Jesus refers to the kingdom of God, we get a different glimpse of what the kingdom of God is, and what Jesus meant by the kingdom of God and and there's a there's a there's a lot of th- there's a lot of components to this, but there's a couple of things themes that run throughout this idea of the kingdom of God in Jesus' mind and his ministry, and it is always connected to shalom coming into the midst of chaos. It's always connected to shalom coming to chaos. The kingdom of God in Jesus' in Jesus' world and Jesus' ministry is often connected to the poor being blessed. It's connected to the sick being healed. It's connected to the demons being cast out. It's connected to the dead rising. It's connected to shalom coming into the midst of chaos. And Jesus is saying, this is what the kingdom of God is all about. It's not about these big events. It's not about the big conference I think it's compelling that just before this, if you remember, I think it was two weeks ago, uh, we preached on the ten lepers. As it, and it's as if Jesus is saying, this is the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of God. It's not, don't go out looking for your big political Messiah. Don't go chasing after the latest spiritual high. It's right here in your midst, and it is, and it is expressed and manifest in these, in these lowly, tangible ways in which the marginalized and the oppressed and the poor are, are healed and exalted and lifted up. Friends, what we just saw up here, that's the kingdom of God. That was the kingdom of God. That was the one of the most pure expressions of the kingdom of God that you will ever experience. And so I think we have to ask ourselves, have you experienced the kingdom of God in your life? Have you experienced the kingdom of God in your life? When you think about your relationship with Jesus and your walk with the risen Christ, does this define, is this a mark of your relationship with Jesus that you can say, Jesus came into my chaos, into my mess, and has brought order? Or do we find ourselves With the religious rulers, the Pharisees, just trying to follow the rules so that God can be pleased with me. And when you live that kind of life, what it does is it just produces more chaos and more tension and more anxiety. And Jesus says, no, my kingdom brings shalom. Brings shalom into the midst of chaos. Have you experienced that this morning? I think with that also, we have to ask ourselves... As ambassadors of Christ, as Paul says, as representatives of Christ, do we bring the kingdom of God with us? Do people experience the kingdom of God when they interact with us? Am I bringing the kingdom of God into my neighborhood? Am I bringing the kingdom of God into my home, into my family? See, for me, this comes down to really practical things like when I come home at the end of the day and the kids are running around naked, and my wife's trying to get dinner ready, and the breakfast food is still well, half of it's on the table and the other half's on the wall. And you know, it's just like and, and I've had a rough day, and all I need is some peace and quiet. Do I bring shalom into that? Do I bring shalom into my family? into my neighborhood? Do I bring shalom? See, often we relegate this to mission trips and things that we do elsewhere. But what about our neighborhoods? Or is this church, loves, which I love, uh, your street corner? Are you bringing shalom to your street corner? Because Jesus says, this is the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom I came to establish is Shalom in the midst of chaos? When people interact with you, do they experience the kingdom of God? It's the, the, the kingdom that is present here. It's already. It's in our midst. We don't need to go out looking for it. It's right here in our midst. But then Jesus doesn't stop there. Again, in verse 23, his audience shifts. And his subject matter shifts. And now the kingdom of God becomes the days of the Son of Man. And what does Jesus mean by the days of the Son of Man? Well, a couple of things that I think are helpful for me to make sense out of this passage is, uh, first of all, the Son of Man, it's one of the most common ways, the most frequent ways that Jesus refers to himself is the Son of Man. Now what in the world does Jesus mean by the son of man? Couldn't it's confusing in my mind. Wouldn't if Jesus came to let us know that he is God, that he's divine, why would he say the son of man? That's confusing to me. Is why doesn't he just say that I I have divine authority. I am the son of God. I'm I'm the, the I'm the the God man. Why doesn't he say that? Well, he does say that. He says that by saying, I am the Son of Man. What do I mean by that? Well, scholars will uh, mostly agree that in referring to himself as the Son of Man, he's making a direct reference to Daniel chapter 7. Now, if you're familiar with Daniel chapter 7, it's this, uh, this vision that Daniel has, and it's, uh, it's apocalyptic in nature, meaning it's, it's very symbolic, it's very larger than life, and it is, it's uh, apocalyptic, means that it really refers to the end of all things, the end of time, and what's going to happen in the end of time. And this is the, the nature of what's happening in, in Daniel chapter 7. And if you read that, there's these four creatures that are creating all this chaos on the earth. And then the ancient of Days is there. And then there's this figure that approaches the ancient of days, God, Yahweh. And it says that all authority is given to this figure. And this figure in Daniel 7 is called the Son of Man. The Son of Man appears, approaches the ancient of days, and it says all authority is given to him. And then what happens? It's very Uh, familiar with Revelation chapter 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. The Son of Man appears, and two things happen. Number one, the wicked are judged. The wicked are gathered together, they're judged, and they're condemned to eternal torment. Number two, the righteous are redeemed. Not only are they redeemed... But they join the Son of Man, this messianic figure. They join him in the establishing of shalom on the earth. There's a partnership that happens with the righteous, the redeemed, and the Son of Man in the bringing of shalom to creation. Does that make sense? You'll find this also in the book of Revelation. This is what happens in the end. So Jesus says in verse 22, The time is coming when you will long to see the days of the Son of Man. Again, I think it is reasonable to assume that Jesus' disciples automatically, this this idea of Son of Man would have massive implications in their mind. They'd automatically be connecting this to Daniel 7 and all of the meaning of Daniel 7. So they're, all, they're thinking, man, this, this man with divine authority who is going to ultimately establish the kingdom of God here on earth and establish perfect shalom. And then Jesus goes on and he, he goes on to, to give us a couple of insights of what this day is going to be like. He says in the beginning, he says, well, first of all, it's going to be like lightning. Lightning. It's going to, uh, that's going to light up the sky from one end to the other. What does that mean? Well, lightning, you don't have to go out looking for lightning. When lightning appears, everybody sees it, right? Did anybody see the lightning this morning? We all saw the lightning this morning, right? We didn't have to go looking for the lightning. When the lightning appears, everybody sees it. Then he goes on and he says, it's also going to be uh, sort of like it was in the days of Noah. In that day, people were, uh, what does it say, drinking and marrying and being given to marriage. And and then suddenly this flood appeared. And those that weren't ready, which was everyone except for Noah and his family, were destroyed. Oh, it's also going to be like the days of Lot, when Lot was in Sodom and Gomorrah. When God warned Lot, and Lot and his family escaped, and as soon as they escaped, Sulfur and fire rained down and destroyed the wickedness that was inherent in Sodom and Gomorrah. And then, and then Jesus says, or it's, it's going to be like, you know, there's going to be two people in the field working and, and all of a sudden one's going to be taken and, and one's going to be left behind. Or there's going to be two people in bed and one's going to be taken and one's going to be left behind. So what's Jesus saying here? Why is he saying this? Well, I think Jesus is giving us uh, a a couple of insights into what that day is going to look like when he returns here to earth. And this is, again, a topic that has caused a lot of division in the church, and yet it's one of the most frequently discussed topics of Jesus. Jesus loves talking about his return. And when when you read the epistles you get this sense that the early church had this eager anticipation of the return of Jesus. That they thought the days of the Son of Man were going to happen in their day. So what is Jesus telling us here? There's a couple of things that I think Jesus is telling us about his return. Number one, he's telling us that it's going to be supreme. That his return is going to be supreme. What do I mean by supreme? I mean that it is going to cover the entire earth. That his reign and his rule when he returns is going to have, he's going to have ultimate supreme authority over all of the earth. Where do we get this from? Well, it's inherent in this idea of the Son of Man. When you understand the Son of Man in the context of Daniel 7, there's this divine figure who's given supreme authority. When Jesus appears, friends, there's going to be nobody outside of his reign, nobody outside of his rule. There's no escaping the reign of Jesus. Number two, it's going to be sudden. It's going to be sudden, it's going to be in a moment. Jesus says here, it's going to be like in the days of Noah when people are drinking and marrying. People are going to go on business as usual, thinking that everything's going to be okay. And yet in a moment, that day is going to come and it's going to be over. And I just, man, I just, I look around. I I look around at the church today and I love the church. I'm not one of these guys that poo-poos the church. I love the church. And because I love the church, I've got some concerns with the church. And one of my concerns is how many people in the church are living business as usual. As if everything's okay, that this thing's just going to turn out okay for everybody. And there's no no fervency, there's no urgency. And Jesus says... That's how it was in the days of Noah. People thought that everything was going to be okay, and they didn't understand that the judgment of God was upon them. It was going to come in a moment. And because people weren't ready, only a few were saved. It's going to be uh, sudden. It's also going to be a day of judgment. I know we don't like to talk about this in the church. But, friends, Jesus is abundantly clear, abundantly clear that his return will be a day of judgment. That there will be some, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25, that are like the goats that will go to his left and suffer eternal torment. And there are some that will be like sheep and go to his right and enjoy the shalom of the kingdom of God for eternity. It will be a day of eternal judgment. And friends, this day will turn out really good for some of us, and it will turn out really bad for some of us. And I know we don't like to talk about that these days. We like to think that everybody's going to make it somehow, but friends, it's just not in the Bible. It's just not in the Bible. It is abundantly clear that the, the return of Jesus will be a day of judgment. So severe will it be that it says in the book of Revelation that the kings of the earth who oppose Jesus will flee to the mountains and try to hide themselves under the rocks, saying, who will save us from this day for the great day of judgment has come? The Bible also says this day will be very soon. Very soon. Three times in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, the last book of our Bibles, Jesus leaves us with three times. He says, behold, I am coming back, what? Soon. Behold, I am coming back soon. Behold, soon I'm going to return. I know some of you guys like the, uh, to understand the original Greek In Hebrew, the original language, uh, that in the original Greek, that word soon, it really means soon. (laughs) That's what it means. It means soon. It means soon. This thing's gonna happen. It's gonna be in a moment. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean in our day? It could. There will be a generation that sees the return of our king face to face. There will be a generation. It could be this generation. It could be another thousand years. I have no idea. That's not up to me. But the Bible is abundantly clear that it will be very soon. So we've got to ask the question, so what? So what? What does this have to do with me today? Well, friends, I think an understanding of the return of Jesus has massive implications for right now, for today. Why? Because that's what the Bible says. I think about Matthew chapter 24. Jesus, in Matthew's rendition of, of uh, this dialogue, he says, Nobody knows the day nor the hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. And I think what we do with that is we say, Well, the Bible says nobody knows the day nor the hour, therefore don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, right? Don't talk to me about the coming of Jesus. But what does Jesus say here? He says, Nobody knows the day nor the hour. Verse 42 in Matthew 24. Therefore, keep watch. Be ready. In Peter, 3, uh, um, 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter's talking about the coming of the day of the Lord and the judgment that will come. It says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And then Peter goes on in 1 Peter 3, 11, and he says this. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what type of people ought you to be? Or what type of lives ought you to live, but lives of holiness and godliness? See, Jesus says the exact opposite of what we often do with these kind of texts, where we put our fingers in our ears and say, don't talk to me about that. It's all going to turn out. Don't worry about it. Jesus is saying, be ready. Get ready. Get ready because it's coming. This day is coming very Soon, What does it mean to get ready? Well, what it doesn't mean is to live like the Pharisees and live with careful observation of the law, try to follow all of the rules. Get ready doesn't mean go run after all the greatest spiritual highs. What does get ready mean? I think it means daily faithfulness. That you live daily, faithful and obedient to the call of God in your life. That you recognize that today, I've got a purpose in this life. That today, I've got a calling to bring the kingdom of God into the world around me. That today, I'm called to be holy and set apart. Friends, the world does not need more powerless, weak clones of itself. Do not buy into that lie. What the world needs, what the world desperately needs is a generation that is holy and set apart unto the Lord and actively involved in the kingdom of God here on earth. That's what the world desperately needs. And I want to ask, will we be that people? We've seen it this morning. It's here. It's in our midst. Will we be that kind of people? I think about it in... uh, uh, I like to think about the kingdom of God and the return of Jesus in the context of marriage because that's one of the primary ways Jesus talks about the kingdom of God and his return is, is a wedding day. In, uh, in, in, in September 18, 2010, I was married to a beautiful woman sitting right back there. That's us on our wedding day. And here's the thing about weddings, is we got engaged in, I don't know, when did we get engaged? July, I think. I was told, okay, let me say this. Man, this will help you. When we got married, I asked my wife, what dates do I need to remember? And she told me, I don't need to remember our engagement date. I'm just, so, I'm clear. But I think it was in July. And here's the thing, we had about 10 weeks from the time we got engaged to the time we got married. I knew there was a wedding coming. And you know what? Because I knew there was a wedding coming, it was not business as usual. There was a lot of work that had to be done, a lot of preparations that had to be made. Emotionally, spiritually, physically, our house had to be renovated, and and there was a great sacrifice that had to be made. I had six weeks to renovate our house to get it ready for us, right? Right? Late nights, early mornings. Didn't get to do a lot of the stuff that I normally want to do. Why? Because there was a wedding coming. Because there was something greater that was coming that I needed to get ready for. I think about it like uh, like birth, like having uh, like having a baby. We just had our third baby six months ago, and uh, that's our second born on the day she was born? Elena? Here's the thing about uh, if you've had a baby, you know, especially if you're a new parent, that there's things that happen before the baby's born, right? There's some indicators. And when those indicators come, there's things you have to do to get ready, right? There's preparation that is necessary, we understand these things in practical realities like this. How much more so with the return of our, Christ, of our king, who is going to come and he's going to establish his kingdom and there's going to be a party and shalom is going to come and we're going to join him and that, ki- that kingdom of God is going to come here to earth and we get to partner with the king to bring shalom here to earth. Will we be the kind of people that are living lives of godliness and holiness in preparation to see our king? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the hope that we have. The hope of redemption. The hope of shalom. Of new life. Thank you for calling us to participate with this kingdom, to join you in this process of redemption. Thank you for this picture that we got to see this morning of shalom, of your kingdom. And God, I pray that this morning that you would move among us and in us and give us uh, hearts of eager anticipation for your return so that when we leave here, that we go from here, We would be those that bring the kingdom of God with us. That when people interact with us, that people would experience the goodness of our God and would join us in eager expectation for the return of the King. Amen.